Our scripture reading today is from Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 to 28, found on page 1552 in the Pew Bible. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Thank you. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thou hast promised to give us the Holy Spirit if we are willing to open our hearts and let it in. Make us willing now that things of eternal significance may begin to happen here. Save this time, O Lord, from being merely a gesture to custom or convention and make it a real experience for each of us in this place as we call upon thee for guidance and help. For Jesus' sake, amen. It's crazy how fast the word about Jesus spread throughout all of Galilee. Word went like a tweeter feed after he called Simon and Andrew and James and John to leave their boats and follow him. Those were his first four disciples. But what happened in the synagogue, the church, made it go viral. On the Sabbath, they and Jesus went into the synagogue to practice in worship as they did each Sabbath. And word was out that Jesus was an itinerant prophet, so he must have been invited by the rabbi to teach there. And when Jesus began to teach, Mark says the people were amazed and astonished, two very strong words in the Greek context, astonished at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, as if from on high, as if He was the author and the master of the law and not just a teacher who had the knowledge, but 
not the fire and spirit. And Mark goes out of his way to emphasize this awe the people had in his teaching because, as they said, he had authority not like the scribes, the professional teachers. We're not meant to miss this irony in Mark's gospel. In those days, it was the temple scribes who were the professionals. They professed over all the minute legal details found in the 613 laws in the Jewish Torah. They had been given the professional power to teach. While Jesus at this point was a nobody, a carpenter from Nazareth. Nothing good came out of Nazareth. It was a no place, no wheresville. He's a traveling salesman. He has no degrees. He has no denominational standing. He has no ordination. And he stands up and out teaches the PhDs. And then right in the middle of his teaching, a member of the church or Kirk or synagogue, I think he was probably a scribe visiting who was full of envy. This man stands up and starts yelling at Jesus, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. It's important to know that in Jesus' day, demons were everywhere. They were just part of the food chain of hierarchy, a hierarchy given mostly at birth. And the honorable person in those days knew how to use this hierarchy of power and authority like slaves had to learn how to use their masters in the South in order to survive. You gave in to those above you on the food chain while praying praying, praying for God's sweet chariot to come and carry us home. In Jesus' day, the Most High was God. It's all through the Old Testament, the one of the Most High. And he was called this because God was on top. They, then, then came the sons of God, the archangels, seven of them, Michael and Gabriel being two, and they were God's bureaucrats working sort of closer to the ground, and they could influence everything underneath them, but they could not influence God. There was Satan, apparently, the story goes, that was one of those archangels, and he thought he was special, more special than all the others, and so he decided that he wanted to create a palace revolt and take over God's highness, but he got booted all the way down to hell. And below these archangels were just angels, normal angels, superhuman forces and spirits that affected things, good and bad. And part of that angelic tribe were also demons. They were demons that you could only see through the people and the creatures that they inhabited, mostly humans. God made us in God's image, human. And that's the good news. We're far down the food chain. That may not be such good news, depending on where you like to be. 
God made us finite. God made us both good and bad with our own vertical hierarchy of power and status from emperor to slave, from, from temple priest to servant slave. But always God made us to be subject to that which was above us, the angels, the demons, the archangels, and God's self, while below us are all the other creatures and living things that we're responsible for. That was the hierarchy, and it was built like a pyramid. God here on top, and then further down are humans, and then the rest of all living things at the bottom. And knowing how this power pyramid worked is the way you survived. And this is why the people were completely astonished when Jesus walked in to the worship space and was given permission to teach and began to teach as if he had authority. Because in that moment, it was an upside-down pyramid. Jesus was a nobody with no power who all of a sudden had the power. And he did so with authority, that is to say with God's obvious love, with, with an authenticity that they did not experience, experience in most cases, an authenticity that was only of godness, this fully human presence becoming like one of them, vulnerable, but not standing over them, large and in charge. And Jesus showed them this is the way of God, a way of giving up all hierarchy and power. And then in giving it up, Jesus is showing us this is where real power is found. It's upside down. For those of us who need to obsess on being on top, to stand over others, to grab all the power and might we can get our hands on, who think nothing about lying or cheating or breaking the law or bullying or fame or fortune, or to say whatever we need to say in order to win whatever it is we're trying to win. Why is it that we're the ones who are the most inauthentic and insecure? While those who forthrightly go about their business quietly, confidently without much fanfare, who do not call attention to themselves, but instead to the work of others around them. Why is it that they're the truly authentic, most real humans? You see, this is what Paul was saying in his letter to the church at Philippi, struggling over this same triangle of power, because they didn't have any power at all. They were getting hammered by the Romans, as well as many of the Hebrew faith. And Paul writes to them about how they're called to live as Christians. And Paul says, have this same mind among yourselves. Though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a slave being born in human likeness and being born in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
What the Bible is saying is it is that kind of humility, of humbling of yourself, of giving yourself away that is the true authentic power of God. But it was not just Jesus' humanness that was powerful. Jesus also had the Spirit of God in him that gave him the power to be Christ. This spiritual power, this authority from God, blew them away that day, for right in the middle of his lesson, this demon-possessed man sees it for what it is, and it scares them to death. So he stands up and starts screaming, why do you want to, to do this to us, Jesus of Nazareth? All the whole assortment of demonic spirits were gathered there. To us, he says, have you come to destroy us? I know you. You're the Holy One of God. And Jesus has turned the pyramid again because Jesus, born in human form, has now shown power over the demons who always had power over humans. Raising his voice. Be quiet. Come out of him. And the demon shook the poor man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Astonished, the people were so amazed, they turned to each other saying, what is this? A new kind of teaching. And with real authority. He even orders the demons to obey him. And then Mark says at the end of this passage, news spread about him quickly over the whole region of Galilee. I guess it did. Don't you find it interesting that that man possessed by the demons was in the church? The church is full of all kinds of demons, by the way. And those particular demons were, 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 they were laying quietly in that man who sat there reading his psalms and bending his head in prayer and reciting the Torah. And when Jesus started teaching, those old demons started getting itchy, agitated to the point of one of them saying, this is enough, <coughs> grabs the man by the collar and pulls him up out of the seat and has him start screaming at Jesus. Yep, there are lots of demons in churches. Of course, where else would you go if you were a demon but to infiltrate those who were trying to get rid of him? Because you can't really tell the difference between a non-demon and a demon sometimes, especially when you're in church. We religious folk cannot claim our own good self-righteousness by virtue of our baptism or by virtue of our joining the church or by virtue of being vaccinated against those demons because we religious folk all have our own demons too. The Bible is clear that religious people aren't more immune from demons but more at risk especially the demon of power and self-righteousness, and the worst of all, absolutism. This happened to my church, by the way, not when I was there, thank goodness, 
In the early 60s at Riverside Prez in Jacksonville, Albert Kissling was the pastor. He'd been there for 35 years. In those days, preachers were kind of tyrannical, to tell you the truth. And what Albert said, everybody did. But Albert was really keen on the importance of integration in the early 60s, which was way ahead of the comfort of the churches and, and culture. But he, as, read, as he truly and rightfully read the Bible, he knew that color did not differentiate one's worth. So while he's preaching one day from the pulpit, some guy sitting in the back stands up and starts screaming at him about being a communist. And Albert says, sit down. Be quiet. And he did. <laughs> and what Mark is trying to say here is that, that this whole moment of Jesus' teaching Jesus' whole life is to convince us, as Paul wrote in Romans, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor things past, nor the future, nor any powers in height or in depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As Presbyterians, with our Scotch-Irish history of being ripped apart by the demonic powers at the time of the Church of England and the Roman Catholic Church, again, all churches have their demons, we have a pretty good understanding of what total depravity means. Simply that we are all infected with the demonic existence of sin and the need for power and prone to evil as the sparks fly upward, the Psalms say. But we are also made clear that those who are clamoring to be on top of the pyramid of power are the most prone of all to being demonically owned. Which may be why most Presbyterians, including me, have authority problems. There's actually a psychological uh, 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 term for it. Now I can't remember. It's uh, something OO. Not, not uh, let's see. Not ADD, it's AOO. Something uh, effective, something. Dis it means you can't tell me what to do. And we Presbyterians just don't trust anybody at the top. It's why the Scotch-Irish created this form of government called representational, spread out democratically among the elders instead of having a pastor or a preacher in charge. And, and, and those Kirks would all be together under, <coughs> under the presbytery, which means the Pope was not in charge and that it was on a democratic basis where the congregation voted on those leaders, and it was the beginning of the representational form of government that our own General Assembly and our Constitution used, and it turns the whole pyramid of power upside down because now it's not the king, and it's not the president, and it's, it's not the one with all the power we think, but it is the people who have the power. 
So that's why we celebrate this Kirkin of the Tartan. Not because there is any more holiness in clans and colors worn. We all know those clansmen were bullish, brutish, violent people. But we wear these colors because we understand how much freedom it grants us to wear them when in those days they could not wear them by a decree from the king and queen of England and the pope of the Roman Empire. Now we can lift them up as flags of freedom. And we can celebrate this time as as Protestants who immigrated to America to escape the powers of government over religion. Through Madison and Monroe and many others, our representational form of government was created in order to follow the rule of law and our form of government in the United States. We celebrate this today. We need to celebrate this today because our country and especially many of our churches are being inhabited by demons. Demons of lies and fake news and conspiracy theories and the idolatrous worship of political power and whatever it takes to get it. And now more than any time in history, I think, our United States history, these demons of hierarchy and power are being fed by Christians, church Christians, many of whom claim to be white nationalists who believe that their candidate is meant to be in charge. And that this country is meant to be governed by white European men. This is not hyperbolic. So here's a litmus test about whether it's the authentic power of God in the church or the fake power of the demons. St. Paul wrote it in Romans 12. Paul writes, grade yourself here. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Well, that would be a change. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. That is to say, get back. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. It goes on and on and on. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you're heaping burning coals of love on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is the charge for every single one of us who claim to follow Jesus Christ. Friends, when the church hitches its power up to the power of politics, 
we become little more than a reflection of the party line, then it's pretty clear we need to call on Jesus for a few exorcisms. I have understood why some people have left mainline churches like the Methodist and the Presbyterian and the Episcopal churches because they have, and I think probably rightly so, experienced from top down this ecclesiological pushing them into what they would consider a liberal identity politics, a progressive morality around sexuality issues. I get it. I'm not against those things, but I'm just not sure I like the way it went down, so to speak. And this is why I think so many of us have self-righteously chosen to go somewhere else, while those who stayed self-righteously stayed because we felt we were right. Which is to say all of us carry the demon of that division And it's in our own eye while we miss seeing the demons. No, it's it's in our own eye we miss seeing while all we see are the demons in the others. But all of that is to say I think that those demons are, are minor league compared to what we're facing now. This demonic move to take over the Christian evangelical church is not a threat to our country as much as it is a threat to Christianity. And this this sermon is not political. It is completely theological and biblical. I've been reading a remarkable book by this evangelical Christian, son of an evangelical preacher. Preacher was the head of a huge evangelical church in Michigan named Kingdom, Power, and the Glory, and his name is Tim Alberta. And he couldn't figure out what happened to his church because he experienced his church getting hijacked, and his own father got hijacked by this white nationalist movement while losing so much about Jesus. So he goes back and looks 50 years of history, and he figures out that, well, maybe Jerry Falwell and the Moral Majority Movement kind of started this, sort of getting in bed with politics, and then now it's the Ralph Reed movement called Faith and Freedom Coalition, which we understand, according to his book, Ralph writes a lot, sort of uh, is is the ghostwriter for a lot of the speeches that we hear online. Um, And he he concludes, the writer of this book, that they have lost their way in this cesspool of politics, and unless we stand up to those demons With the living, loving power of Jesus Christ, the demons will have the last word, at least in this world. Our founding fathers understood this, having escaped Europe for just this reason, which is why we have the separations clause between church and state. I'm not pushing fear here. Fear is what demons get us to overreact to. But I am pushing Jesus and the biblical witness to him. Not the witness of social media or political preachers or some news stations, but biblical witness 
Any way to start for us on this road is to read what Jesus says to his followers and how we're meant to act. And if you want to start somewhere, it starts in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus showed us in his life and in his death upon the cross, this is what it looks like to be a follower of his. And we therefore cannot trust political power, even though we must obey it and live within it. But when it comes to the power of God, instead of looking up the top of the pyramid to find it, you'll always find it down at the bottom where the suffering, lowly, gentle, merciful peacemakers are. For this is the lowest place in God's kingdom, which is the highest place in God's heart. (coughs) Friends, our job is to spend as much time studying Scripture and finding out what Jesus says we are called to do and be as we spend listening to talk radio and television pundits. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, as we look into the future, let no fears avail us. Help us to be confident that thou wilt be with us in the future as we know thou hast been in the past. We know that our Christianity is no insurance policy against trouble, but rather the guarantee that thou wilt be with us in the trouble. And that should give us strong hearts and confident faith for as long as thou art beside us, loving us, what have we to fear? Amen.